Ho, ho, ho! Greetings from the North Pole and welcome to Money and Dee. We're giving presents to all the boys and girls for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We've been making a list and checking it twice and delivering common sense solutions to all your complex problems. Naughty or nice. And now, here are my delightful elves. Oh, sorry, I mean doctors. Okay, Santa's money elves are back. Filling your stockings with more prescriptions for your financial health. Yeah, we have a lot of presents under the tree this year. Yes, we Mr. do. Mr. Elf. Yes, we do, <laughs> Elf John. In fact, I think we have an awesome show lined up for today. A lot of pertinent information. You know, we're going to start off here talking about um, the... Ways to be a smarter investor. Exactly. Right? Yeah, four ways to be a smarter investor. Not three, but four. Four ways. And then we're going to follow that up with... Yeah, we've got a, a good article talking about uh, financial planning for the self-employed. You know, we work with a lot of um, individual business folks out there. And, um, you know, a lot of times if you don't put this at the top of your list, you know, it's not you're not going to check it. You won't yeah. get a present for retirement. No, absolutely you gotta not. you got to save. Yeah, you do. And if you're self-employed, it's especially important to, to make sure you do that in the right way. So, uh, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 22 years' experience of providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. And we're excited to have you listening to us on our weekly show today. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, go to our website, moneymd.net. We do have the podcast um, up there and also uh, historical shows as well. Um, we also have uh, a lot of videos, Steve. We um, have recorded some videos on topics that we hear a lot from our clients and some questions. So go check that out as well. And also we have a Facebook page and a Twitter um, account as well. So we're trying to get out there and, um, you know, do some education out there on the financial topics. Yeah, a lot of ways to listen to us. And do check us out on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us there. You can ask us your questions. You can listen to all of our previous shows, as John mentioned. And you can also reach us directly by info, by email at info at moneymd.net. So, John, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. You know, Steve, we did a financial fact a couple of weeks ago about the number of baby boomers that are retiring. And, um, I mean, we see them pretty much weekly. Absolutely. It seems like folks that have been with us for a while or maybe they're just starting uh, to, to work with us and they're trying to figure out their retirement plans. And um, planning is very, very important. It's a, it's a great... Um, exercise that you go through that you kind of look into the future. But the financial fact this week has to do with planning, and it basically comes from the Social Security Administration, that one out of every four Americans who reach the age of 65 um, will live another 25 years. So when you start doing your retirement plan, you know, you got to look out decades. And it's very, very important that you structure your your portfolio and your plan to to account for that. Yeah, because you never know um, between if you're married, you between you and your spouse, one of you, the two of you will probably live into your 90s. Yeah, it's and a so, pretty good chance. Real good chance. So you really have to plan for that accordingly and you have to plan prudently yeah. because it's a long time. And we look out to age 95. That's kind of our, our benchmark. Right. And, um, you know, at some point in the future, we may have to take that out to 100 because we do see people living longer and longer. Exactly. Hopefully we, we will have to do that. That's right. True. Well, that's a great fact of the week. All right. That leads up to our first topic here, and that is the four ways to be a smarter investor. Um, we all want to be smarter, don't we, particularly with our investments. But yeah, I mean, this is uh, an article here recently. Walter Undergrave uh, is the author of this. And, you know, John, when you, given how the markets have surged over the past few years, 
Um, you didn't have to exactly be a financial wizard to earn some decent returns. Um, but good markets, of course, aren't going to last forever. You know, sooner or later, they're going to give way to kind of a stingier version of the markets. Um, you know, not only giveth, but they might take some back. And a market that, you know, won't be as forgiving about mistakes. So one of the big keys to success with investing is knowing your limitations and not being too greedy. And it's easy to get excited about how certain stocks or sectors are doing here recently, like this year. I mean, there's been some incredible, Mm -hmm. you know, investments that have been taken off this year. Um, But you don't want to forget about the fundamental principles while you're swinging for the bleachers out there. So um, we're going to talk about some four ways here to be a smarter investor. And, uh, you know, we're here to help. We're here to keep you grounded in reality and rooted in a well-disciplined approach. So let's take a look at at how to avoid um, these pitfalls in today's markets and the four keys to being a smarter investor. First one here is don't be a bull market genius. (laughs) Okay, so what does that mean? Well, pretty much, Anywhere you put your money in recent years, you, you reaped some pretty impressive returns, most likely. You know, all nine Morningstar U.S. equity style categories returned an annualized rate of 10% or more over the past couple of years. So that's great. But sometimes good markets can go to your head. It's easy for investors to kind of, um, you know, who have fattened up their retirement accounts to take a big hit in a financial crisis because they kind of lose sight of of their limitations. So the long sustained rallies in stock prices, they can be dangerous. Investors can get the impression that their investing prowess, you know, their ability to sort through an array of investments available and pick out the winners, that that's responsible for the gains they've racked up here recently. Um, but investing wags have a name for such people. They call them bull market geniuses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somebody I've heard thinks, that. They think they're a genius because of the bull market, you know. So, you know, another saying is confusing confusing bull markets for brains. <laughs> um, so you don't want to do either one of those things. You want to be prudent about it, right? That's right. In fact, you know, if you look more closely, you'll see that even professional investors are, are really doing a little more than – than uh, riding the rising market. When you look at the latest scorecard from S&P Dow Jones indices, it shows that more than 70% of U.S. stock fund managers underperformed their benchmark index over the last five years. And if you take that all the way out to 15 years, um, another study shows that only 17% beat the benchmark over 15 years. So professional money managers, only 17%. uh, Not a not a real stellar number, but, you know, got some good news. Got got um, a present here for you, right? A, you a treat. Um, you know, we use DFA, um, Dimensional Fund Advisors, because they're structured. They try not to outguess the markets. Um, you know, they have the, the small and the, and the value and so forth. And they really are designed to capture the asset class returns across the spectrum of uh, some attractive asset classes. And that same, same study shows that DFA has beaten the benchmark 86% of the time compared to 17% for the average fund over the past 15 years. Now, that's the kind of reliable results that you want, you know, in your portfolio. And, of course, past performance doesn't guarantee, you know, the future. But looking back historically, DFA has done very, very well. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's some, those are some impressive <clears throat> stats. Yeah, in good markets like this, you know, don't ever fall into the illusion that you're in control when it comes to returns. I mean, instead, structure your portfolio so that it's designed to get market returns across the asset classes you're participating in. 
And, you know, we can also decide how much to put in stocks, how much to put in bonds, and how we react when the market, you know, goes down. Um, we largely have to settle for the returns the market delivers. So don't lose sight of that, that fact. And, you know, if you do lose sight of it, you may pay dearly. So yeah. that's the point there. So that was the first one here. second one here is to avoid the smorgasbord syndrome. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, if you've ever been to one of those all-you-can-eat buffets, John, I'm sure you're familiar with this. I don't know if you <laughs> go to those type places No, nah, I try to stay away from it. Yeah, I do too nowadays. But, you know, you've seen how, you know, people pile their plates high with all manners of entrees, salads, appetizers, and even desserts. And if you're like me, you know, you you might love it while you're there, you know, at the smorgasbord eating all you can eat. But then the next day, uh, you always regret it after you've partaken of the smorgasbord. So, you know, many people invest the same way. They load up their portfolios with every conceivable fund, ETF, or other investment out there that comes along, you know, maybe a little Bitcoin today, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> But, you know, that approach um, no more creates a well-balanced portfolio than choosing one of the items off the smorgasbord gives you a balanced diet um, or choosing every item on the, on the smorgasbord for that matter. <laughs> when it comes to investing your retirement savings or your investment money, um, you know, simpler is better. Uh, the more you, you keep adding investments to your portfolio in the name of diversification, Oftentimes, the more likely you are to be overweighted to asset classes like U.S. large stocks or your favorite sector. So what you want to do is you want to keep it simple and you want to make sure that you're well diversified. Yeah, the well diversified, our definition is um, 8 to 12 asset classes. That's, that's what we see is, is a well diversified portfolio. And you know, there's usually no need to have two funds in the same asset class. One will usually be sufficient and best suited to capture those returns. For each asset class, um, then you got to simply rebalance. You got to look at the portfolio and get it back to the target allocations on some kind of periodic basis. We do it quarterly. Um, there's different ways to do it, but when you have different types of assets that are doing different things, rebalancing can can help get it back into um, into balance. And frequent trading or changing, you know, the holdings in your portfolio is certainly a sign that you're overthinking your investments and maybe yielding to your emotions. Um, by grabbing, you know, another entree off the smorgasbord. So if you keep letting your emotions take over, you're eventually going to find yourself and your portfolio in, in very poor health and certainly in the risk of a crisis as well. So keep it simple. I like that. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so the next way here to be a smarter investor is to focus on the right asset class mix and not on short-term returns. You ever been to a party where someone kind of held court on how uh, he doubled his money in some hot IPO or some great stock out there, high-flying stock, maybe even Bitcoins. I mean, how many times have you been to a gathering where somebody bragged about owning international stocks or emerging markets when they took off? <laughs> you know, probably never. I mean, people don't usually talk about asset classes. They talk about some individual stock, you know, that they really that they bought and really hit a home run on. So start a conversation, though, like that, and, you know, you may find people heading back to the bar, right, for another drink and avoiding your conversation if you talk about diversification. But even though owning asset classes may not be the sexiest investment topic, research shows that, that they're one of the most important decisions you can make. 
Studies show that 95% of return comes from the asset classes you own, not from owning the individual holdings within those asset classes. And research also shows that owning the right asset class like small value stocks instead of small growth stocks, for instance, can improve your returns substantially over time. In fact, the U.S. small value stocks have returned over 6% more than small growth stocks have over the past 50 years. That's a massive number. It's a massive difference. So just making that one right decision, you know, improves that part of your portfolio by 6% per year. So it's pretty remarkable. So you can imagine that, you know, what targeting asset classes like that will do for your portfolio over time. You know, there's microcap stocks, emerging markets, international small value, U.S. large value. Those are some of the examples of the important asset classes that you want to make sure you have in your portfolio. And that is the most important decision you can make in terms of structuring your portfolio. So forget about what the returns are in any given year. As long as you have funds that are capturing those desirable asset classes in your portfolio, that's the important thing. Focusing on this will improve your return and likely lower risk over time. Stick to discussing football at this year's Christmas parties and avoid trying to impress your friends with how much Bitcoin you own. Yeah, that's that's a great, uh, great suggestion there, Mr. Elf. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like it. And the last one here on the list, Steve, is ignore the circus. I mean, everybody loves a circus when it comes to town. You got lion tamers and clowns and elephants. Um, the whole atmosphere makes for a good time. But, you know, there's also an investing circus, too. Carnival pundits, they they tout their stock picks. You see daily about Bitcoin now, people you know talking yep. about that. The investment strategists looking into their crystal ball to, to foretell the market's future. They have no idea, by the way. That's right. Um, you know, analysts walking the tightrope, making bold calls, hedging them at the same time. And, you know, that, that game and that circus is in town every single day. I mean, you turn on CNBC and you can see that circus going on. Exactly. That's right. You know, if you simply enjoy the... Fellini-like spectacle, then fine. But watch and enjoy. I mean, but don't let the hype and the hoopla distract you from your investment strategy. The investment circus crowd is always jabbering about, you know, how something like Facebook one day and the possibility of market meltdown the next, et cetera. But it's, it's more sound and fury than insight. And at least insight that you can, should act on. So once you've built a well-diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds, asset classes that jobs with your goals and your risk tolerance, stick to it. Periodically rebalance your portfolio to bring it back to its original proportions and then ignore the financial equivalent of tumblers, cartoonists, daredevils, and other performers looking to draw your attention away from your long-term goals. Yeah, a lot of circus going on. Exactly. Avoid the circus when it comes to your investments. So those are the four uh, tips for being a smarter investor. And that leads us up here to the question of the week. Question has to do with RMDs, Steve. That's a required minimum distribution. And the question is, is there a penalty? I'll let you take take a shot at that one. Yeah, well, yes, um, there absolutely is a penalty. Pretty John. big penalty. A pretty big penalty. It's 50% of your RMD, uh, if you didn't take it, anything that you didn't take by year end, there's a 50% penalty. That's kind of like getting coal in your stocking. That's pretty bad, no doubt. That is definitely like getting coal in your stocking. <laughs> um, you know, fortunately, there are some ways to to kind of rectify that if you missed it. 
um, you know, there's a form you can fill out and um, you can apply to have that that penalty waived. But if you, if you do get in that unfortunate situation, you definitely want to immediately go take your missed RMD and then fill out that form. And I had the form here on the tip of my finger here, but I can't find it. Um, the form to ask for an exemption from the penalty and, of course, you know, plead your case of, of why, <laughs> why you missed it. But uh, you don't want to miss that. And bottom line is by the end of December, you want to make sure you, you take that RMD, the full RMD, every single year once you're age 70 and a half. Yeah, you have to do it for IRAs and then also inherited IRAs, right? If you've That's inherited exactly right. an IRA, then you've got to take a, a distribution as well. So don't let that sneak up on you. That's That can be tricky, and it can be very costly. Absolutely. All right, and that leads up to our next topic here, and that is financial planning for the self-employed. Yeah, this is out of uh, Charles Schwab uh, little magazine. Pretty good article. I, I like it. Um, it talks about uh, different plans for, for entrepreneurs. And, um, you know, if you look at entrepreneurs and independent contractors, Steve, they tend to be pretty proactive, right? They're out there doing their own thing. Um, however, they sometimes can neglect um, some administrative things, setting up retirement plans, for example, or maybe getting the right kind of insurance coverage. And, you know, these items may not be passion points, but they're certainly vital for long-term security. So being, you know, a good steward of your own financial fate, it's not easy, but um, it's not rocket science either. So we're going to bullet down to a couple of uh, topics here. The first one is retirement. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, if you're self-employed, planning for retirement couldn't be more important because nobody's going to do it for you. You don't have a pension plan, most likely, um, you don't have anybody just mandating that you take money out and save it for retirement. So you have to do that yourself. And, um, you know, the self-employed, they need to do what all workers should do. And that is start saving for retirement today. Do it immediately. If you can't save a lot, then save a little, you know, the most important thing is to save regularly. But the point is get started now. Yeah, absolutely. And it can be challenging. You know, some some self-employed folks have variable income. So a solution to that may be um, if you get a windfall, uh, maybe setting some aside. Um, another approach is to uh, to treat your retirement like a recurring expense. I mean, cut a check uh, on a set amount on a set date um, every single month. And you know, employers spend considerable effort helping their employees make some forward-thinking uh, financial decisions like automating enrollment into 401k plans. But when you're self-employed, it really helps to create those kind of um, behavioral reinforcements for yourself. So, um, you know, you got to start paying yourself. You got to view it as a as a bill because it really is you're you're paying yourself for the future. Um, so make sure you're, you get that automated. Another issue, Steve, people have is um, in, insurance. I mean, self-employed workers typically buy health insurance because of the consequences of not having something. Certainly, can be catastrophic. But a lot of times, people are missing um, disability insurance or even long-term care insurance. The cost of disability insurance, it certainly varies greatly depending on your profession. Um, but, you know, it's something that you really should should take a look at if you if you don't have it and you you're you're out, you know, from work and you're the only person, then you're not going to have any income coming in. So you may want to you know take a look at um, disability insurance. Absolutely. That's right. And depending on your type of work, you may also want to consider general liability insurance. You know, that protects your business from claims, including personal injury kind of bodily injury, property damage, and other types of liabilities. Now, of course, depending on your business, you know, the cost of all these types of coverages can certainly add up. I mean, however, I mean, it helps that the out-of-pocket health care expenses and premiums for disability, health, 
liability, long-term care, and even Medicare and Medigap insurance. For self-employed workers over 65, there are tax deductible. Um, but, of course, that could all change with this tax bill we're getting ready to talk about here. Today. That's right. That's right. Get something hot off the press, right? Absolutely. And another thing here, Steve, for um, for self-employed is professional support. I mean, you know, you need to look and make sure that you, you have some certain areas that are covered. Insurance is one we just talked about. Retirement is another piece. And then taxes. So you got to have a team. Uh, that can help you. It's very complicated. And um, if you can get a team working for you in your best interest, then um, it certainly is going to help your job much easier, make it much easier. And you can start looking towards the future as well. So we're going to talk about three um, plans for the self-employed that we deal with pretty frequently. The first one here is an individual 401k. And, you know, Steve, as the name uh, implies, um, it's much like a 401k that's offered at a company. The difference is it's offered, it's just for the individual. And it's considered both, um, the individual is considered both the employer and the employee, and um, they can contribute more as a result. So as the employer, you can contribute as much as 25% of your salary. And as an employee, you can do up to 18000 an additional 6000 if you're over the age of 50. So you can do almost close to, well, right at $54,000 in an individual 401k. So the limits are are very, very high. <clears throat> Another benefit is that you, as an employee, can make some post-tax contributions um, with a like a Roth 401k, so the withdrawals and in uh, retirement are tax-free. So, uh, individual 401k very specific. You can't have you know a lot of employees. You got to offer it to your employees, and so it really applies if you're you know just the only person in the business, right? Yeah, the only person. But there's another option if you do have a small business. That's right. There's a couple more more options. Um, one of them is a simple IRA. You know, the setup and administration of a simple IRA lives up to its acronym. It is very simple. Um, and, and this is the easy way for a small business owner to set up a retirement plan that can be used to match employee contributions dollar for dollar up to 3%. Or alternatively, they can make a minimum 2% non-elective contribution for each employee earning at least $5,000 a year. Uh, a simple IRA is a, is appropriate for small businesses that have under 100 employees. You know, that said, um, employee contribution limits are relatively low. It's $12,500 if you're under 50, plus another $3,000 for catch-up contributions for those over 50. So even if you're over 50, it's $15,500, mm-hmm. um, which is a little bit, you know, the, the 401k lets you go all the way up to 24000 if you're over 50. So it's quite a bit less than a 401k limit to how much you can contribute. Um, and you're required to make contributions every year uh, to these. And the penalties, you know, may be more severe for simple IRAs um, before age 59 and a half uh, than for a 401k or a SEP plan, particularly if you try to take money out within two years. Mm-hmm. There's a higher penalty for premature distributions. Yeah, so we've got individual 401k as an option. The simple IRA um, also is an option. And the final one we're going to discuss is the SEP IRA. It's a simplified employee pension um, IRA. It's easy to set up. Tax advantage contribution limit is the lower, the smaller of 25% of your earnings or $54,000 a year. So if you have 100000 of earnings, you could put up, you know, 25000 would be the, the max. Um, you're not required to contribute to a SEP IRA every year, which can be helpful if you don't, you know, if you go through a kind of a dry patch in your business. However, if you're using a SEP IRA to provide employees 
with retirement benefits, only the employer can contribute. Um, the employee can't, but that can be very expensive. If you have 10 employees and you're putting in 10 or 15% of your income, then you have to do the same for the other employees as well. So a couple of different options here, Steve, it, you know, we do, we work with a lot of small business owners. Um, we, we help a lot of folks with these type of plans, um, out there. So if you have any questions, you can certainly reach out to us at info at moneymd.net. We'll be more than happy to take a look at your situation. Yeah, absolutely. Good topic. All right. And that leads us up here to our final topic. And that is the prescription of the week, along with a little discussion here about the new tax bill that's coming right up. Yeah. So end of year tax planning, um, you know, we want to make sure that you're uh, maxing out your retirement plans. Maybe you've had some stocks that have done well. Maybe you bought Bitcoin um, off a whim and um, you can actually donate that to charities and you don't have to pay any taxes on the gains associated with it. So donating appreciated stocks or mutual funds, make sure you take your RMDs. Um, maybe put a call into your advisor, put a call into your um, uh, CPA as well to see if they have any recommendations as well. But the other thing which we would say is, you know, start looking at the new tax bill that just came out very recently. Yeah, absolutely. I would say, you know, the prescription of the week is to pay attention to taxes here in the last two weeks of the year, three weeks of the year. It's easy to get distracted by the holidays and forget to do some things. You know, there are some things that you really have to do by the end of the year. You want to take advantage of it, particularly in light of this tax bill that's coming out that's going to change everything next year. I mean, for instance, if you pay estimated taxes, you want to pay your state, your your third, your fourth quarter state estimated taxes this year before the beginning of the year. You have until January 15th to do it, Mm -hmm. you know, based on the normal schedule, but you want to do it for your end so you can deduct it this year because next year, it's capped at $10,000 for all property and state income taxes, according to this new bill. Now, it hasn't all been signed yet, but if this goes through the way it's written right now, it's going to be capped at $10,000 the way I read it, which means you know a lot of people are going to exceed that between your state income taxes and your property taxes. So get your property taxes paid before the year end. Get your estimated state income taxes paid before the year end for fourth quarter. And, you know, pay attention to this tax bill and any other tax maneuvers you need to do, like realizing gains or losses, you know, right here in December. Yeah, another thing you could do is it looks like the, the brackets are uh, are going down. It's going to save people money. So what that means from a contribution standpoint, you could pull in contributions from next year into this year, right? So if you're going to do $10,000, right. you know, over the course of the year and you wanted to do a couple more thousand this year, you're going to get a bigger deduction because the brackets are higher this year than what it appears next year. Again, this is not final, um, but it looks like there it's going to go through here before Christmas. We'll see. Yeah. And the good news about the tax bill here is, you know, it, it looks like it's pretty much going to be a win-win for everybody um, as far as taxes are concerned, pretty much. I mean, if you look at the brackets, all the brackets get a little bit wider at the lower ends. Um, the, the rates go down starting at the the uh, 15% rate drops to 12% under the agreement that was mm-hmm. just approved here this week. Um, you know, the, the 25% rate goes to 22, the 28% rate goes to 24. So, you know, there's a 3 or 4%, you know, reduction in most of the brackets all the way across the board here. So... That's pretty good news for people. Yeah, um, I, I think it's you know, hopefully it'll be used to stimulate the economy and businesses will use the uh, corporate reduction as well to to invest in new you know plant and equipment and um, 
it'll be interesting to see how this turns out. But yeah, I was, yeah, this came out, uh, this, you know, middle of this last week and, um, you know, exciting. It, it looks good from, from what we're looking at right now. Yeah, it does. Uh, like I said, they put some caps in here, like state and local income taxes and property taxes all be capped at, at $10,000 potentially. So that might affect some people in a negative way. You know, it certainly will. Um, they have gotten rid of some deductions. Um, but on the other hand, you know, the state tax exemptions doubled, it looks like, in this bill. And uh, they're lowering the carpet rate down to 21% from 35%. So that, that certainly should have a positive stimulus on the economy. Top tax rate drops to 37%. So, you know, there's some good stuff in here, I think, that's going to stimulate the economy and, and it also is going to, um, you know, help individuals and put some more money in your pocket uh, almost immediately. They're estimating in February that withholding will go down mm-hmm. when they recalculate everybody's withholding. In February, if this is passed for the end of the year and if, if it's effective in 2018 like they're expecting, then you'll see a little more money in your paycheck probably starting in February. So It's a nice little Christmas cheer. Nice little Christmas cheer there. So there's some good things coming down with the tax bill, but you want to pay attention to it. Make sure you do some planning ahead of time. Here. I, I think the key on this, you know, what you know, long term is, um, you know, the economy has to grow. Right to stimulate business to increase the amount of taxes that are that are you know generated so we can get the deficit down. Absolutely. If, if the economy doesn't grow, the deficit's going to rise. Yeah, and this is going to cost itself. It's going to cost about one point three trillion or something over ten years. Yeah, so, so you got to have the economy to grow. The economy got to grow for this to work because that's going to be one hundred thirty billion or something per year, yep. which is a small compared to our entire budget. Our entire budget's like three point eight trillion or something. So it's small compared to that, but it's still significant enough that we need to get three and a half, four percent GDP growth mm-hmm. for this to really work. So hopefully, hopefully that'll happen. But good news in the short term. That's right. And glad yeah. the elves could give some good cheer here. That's right. Put that in your stocking and enjoy <laughs> it. <laughs> okay. Well, this has been a close for this week's edition of Money MD. We'll tune in next week for more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net, and email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening, and have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from all of us at MoneyMD. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 